Welcome into Words with Wallace. I'm your host, Nick Wallace, coming at you. It is Tuesday, February 6th. Little late night pod coming off an L in the men's league. You know how it is. Little groggy, little upset. We're going to power through because we have a lot of hoops to talk about, folks. It is officially trade season. At the time of recording this, we are less than 48 hours away from the NBA trade deadline, which is in the mid-afternoon on Thursday, February 8th. Had to get on the trade machine. I'm not a master on the trade machine in any way, shape, or form. Uh, This is actually like my first exposure to it, despite obviously being an NBA junkie, as you guys know. Uh, I'm kind of a trade machine rookie, to be honest with you, so it felt good to try some new stuff, mess around with some fake trades. So yes, as you can tell by the title of the episode, I did prepare five fake trades that I did come up with myself. I obviously did have my ear to the streets, tried to listen in for any upcoming rumors, any type of fake trades out there. Uh, So I do have some awesome fake deals to get into in anticipation of, again, the NBA trade deadline. But before we can get into this, we do have some news that we have to touch on before talking about the trades that we do have prepared for today. And starting off with some not-so-great news out of Philadelphia, right? If you guys missed it, Joel Embiid did suffer, I believe, some sort of tear in his left meniscus, and he is going to be reevaluated in about four weeks. But again, he's truly being reevaluated in four weeks to see kind of what that timeline is going to look like. There is a chance he might be out for really the rest of the season. We certainly hope that is not the case, but would expect Philly to kind of continue their downward spiral over the next few weeks. I believe they've lost about six in a row, if not at least six of their last seven. It's been a really tough stretch for them without Joel Embiid. And this sucks, right? Because everybody was really harsh on Embiid. So I have some guilt. I'm sure many other people in the media have some guilt where like everybody was pissed that he missed that weekend primetime game. I think it was a Saturday against Jokic. It was in Denver and Embiid famously has not played in Denver since like 2019 and everybody was psyched for that matchup and it wasn't until right before the game that we found out that Embiid was missing and everybody's like screw this guy, screw the process, screw his load management, screw the fact that he can never play and he ducks his competition. Turns out the dude was really hurt because you could see in the next game he played in which I believe he might have muscled through one game. I think he actually missed the game against Portland and ended up coming back against Golden State and that's where he ultimately injured the meniscus but In that game, I was actually watching it, and even before he was hurt, I mean, he was really lumbering around, like, more so than he normally was. Like, he was clearly playing through something, and obviously he was striving to reach that 65-game mark to to ultimately be eligible for MVP and other All-NBA awards. And I'm actually going to go on a little tangent about that in a second, but obviously condolences to all the Sixers fans out there to Embiid. You know, we certainly hope to have him back out there soon. The good news is that it is a meniscus, right? It's not an ACL. It's not an MCL. It's not necessarily a large, a longer injury timeline where he's going to be out of work for a bit. So hopefully the Sixers are able to just kind of stay above water. They are in a pretty good spot because I believe at the time of him going down, they were still at the three seed in the Eastern Conference. So we'll see if we get any other updates out of Philly, and we'll check back in in about a month to see if there's any update on when Joel Embiid will be returning to the 76ers. But... Didn't even have this plan, but I wanted to kind of talk about this a little bit. I think it's so funny that there is suddenly all this discord about the 65-game minimum and how all these players are speaking up saying it's ridiculous. You had former players like DeMarcus Cousins kind of blame analytics when he brought up the 65-game rule and said that it was bullshit that Embiid should even have to worry about that. But that's Boogie. We're not even really going to talk about him. I shouldn't have even brought him up. I think he was just kind of out to lunch on that take. But other guys, like obviously Embiid and the people in the Sixers locker room, have come to bat for Embiid, saying the 65-game minimum to be eligible for, again, NBA awards, all NBA teams, etc., was ridiculous. 
And then you even had guys like Tyrese Halliburton and, you know, stepping up saying that it was ridiculous and, and it shouldn't be a rule and all this stuff. And you'll notice a the theme that all the people speaking up against the 65 game minimum are guys that aren't playing in games or star players that would have a chance at these awards that are not playing in games. And I think it is absolutely ridiculous. Like, look, I understand guys have real injury. It's an extremely demanding game. I am all for actually shortening the NBA season, despite how much I love watching it because it's just too many games. I think players get burnt out. This load management is really tough to manage. And I just think it would be a higher level of competition and people would care more about the regular season if there were only 50 games. But guess what? That's never going to happen because all 30 owners and commissioner and the league office and all that stuff would have to agree on just universally making less money from TV deals, making less money on ticket sales, all that stuff, right? So that being said, it's, it's never going to happen. So we just have to embrace that that is the case. And we have to, as an NBA community, I, I say we, right? I'm not exactly in with the league office, but you get the point. We would have to make some rules that incentivize the star players to play in big time games. And the player participation policy, which I did an episode focusing on in the offseason, is a complete shit show. I told you guys that at the time. That is proven to be true. Nobody even understands the rules. Nobody respects it. And beyond that, I said that the 65-game minimum that it was in place for these star players to be eligible for these major awards was going to do more to combat load management than their whole player participation policy. And that has been 100% true. Because Now, maybe this is a downside. And this is a terrible time for me to be talking about it in the in the wake of literally the reigning MVP trying to play through an injury and then he tears his meniscus and all that stuff. I mean, maybe he just wanted to be out there anyway if it wasn't for the 65-game rule. So this is a tough time to talk about it, and I am sympathetic to his injury. That's why I opened the pod the way I did. But that being said, I stand by this rule. Like, this rule makes sense. It is the only thing that is getting through these star players' heads to play in games, right? And I understand it sucks if somebody misses a cutoff and if somebody has a real injury, but... Every single year, the folks that actually voted on these awards, and I, I listen to a lot of their podcasts, I know who they are out there that have a vote for these All-NBA teams and whatnot, they were having to go through mental gymnastics to determine, hey, you know, this player X will say scored 30 points a game and is clearly a top 5 to 10 player in the league, but he only played in 55 games, right? And then, you know, player Z over here is a, a 25 per game scorer, and he's in that second tier of NBA superstars, but he played in all 82, like... What do I do? Do I go with the, the more talented player that played in less games? Or do I go with the less talented player that was super available to his team, which is really important, too? They were constantly weighing that. And, and there's really not much you can do to avoid that situation for voters to have to decide on then implement a minimum to be eligible for it. And now you just look at, hey, did they play 65 games? Yes or no? Maybe there's a slight bonus you give to guys that played in all 82 or whatever. But that needed to be had. For the sake of voting on these awards, there needed to be something where there was a minimum in place so people knew who was eligible for it. And especially when you consider how good the NBA is at this point in time with how much talent there is in the NBA, as much as it sucks to say, like, even if Embiid, who he's, he's obviously not going to be eligible this year, especially with this injury, let's call it what it is, right? I understand he's had an amazing season highlighted by a 70-point game and all this stuff, but, like, we're going to find somebody that's still deserving of first-team All-NBA. We're going to find somebody that is still deserving of All-NBA, even without Joel Embiid, even without Tyrese Halliburton, even without guys like Jimmy Butler and Devin Booker who might be in danger of eventually missing that threshold, right? We are going to find a way to make these NBA teams still extremely deserving to the folks that play in 65 games and are on there. I do have sympathy for guys that actually get hurt in, in this season with how physically demanding the game is and back-to-backs and all that crazy stuff. But the minimum is in place for a reason because it's actually making dudes play. 
And all of us fans, when we go to games, we just have that fear that, hey, if I go see Maverick Celtics, is Tatum going to be there? Is Jalen Brown going to be there? Is Luka going to be there? Is Kyrie going to be there? I sure hope so. But you never know. And that, this rule seems to be the only thing in place that is actually getting through to superstar players. So the fact that people are now complaining about it means that it's working, and I'm all for it. Rant over. Let's keep it pushing here because we did have some really big news come out regarding the NBA All-Star teams, right? I obviously gave you my NBA All-Star picks last week. Overall, I was really happy with the list, right? If you guys listened to my episode last week and then you actually watched when the rosters were announced a few days ago, you'll see that I think I only had a few changes. And so let's highlight exactly what those were. I thought the only thing I was actually a bit upset about was Carl Anthony Towns making the All-Star team in the Western Conference over De'Aaron Fox and Sabonis. I thought this was absolutely insane. I know Cat is a really talented player, and in a nutshell, in a vacuum, he is an Certainly is an all-star talent. He's, he's obviously made the all-star teams many times before. But that being said, Minnesota's already represented with Anthony Edwards, who is the best player on that team on a night-to-night basis. I think if you were to pick a second Timberwolf, I would actually go as far as to say that Rudy Gobert is probably more deserving because he is the anchor to what has been far and away the league's best defense all season long. I don't really know what Cat has really done besides 60 score 60-something points in a loss. I know he's still really efficient. I know he's still very talented, but statistically, he's not having the same season as, as what he did a few years ago when they were a worse team, just entirely built around Carl Anthony Towns. And again, I really shouldn't position this as being anti-Towns because again, in a nutshell, sure, he's deserving. He's an all-star talent. I get it. it there have been much less deserving folks who have made the all-star team in the past, but the issue is who you're leaving off. And I'm telling you that De'Aaron Fox and Demontis Sabonis should not be left off the all-star team. I think Sabonis actually is leading the league in triple doubles. And I know we all collectively care a little bit less about triple doubles ever since, you know, the Westbrook stuff years and years ago. And that all came out of whack and people just stopped taking that accomplishment a little bit more seriously. But that being said, he's literally leading the league in triple doubles alongside of Jokic. That's a pretty impressive accomplishment. Like Sabonis is incredible, especially on the offensive end of the court. Obviously defensively, there are some question marks. And then Darren Fox seems to have be seems to be even better than what he was last year, at least offensively. He's shooting the ball from three at a career high clip. He's averaging like 27, 28 points a game. And the Kings are still a really good team. And I feel like they should be represented in the all-star game with at least one of those two guys on the roster. So that really sucks. I was kind of pissed off about Towns getting in there over Fox and Sabonis, but is what it is. That is my rant on that. Moving on to the Eastern Conference, I was a little bit surprised to see Trey Young get left off the original roster in favor of what I would imagine to be Julius Randle. I'd imagine he was probably the bubble guy there. I even said I'm not obviously super upset about that because I literally made that exact decision seconds before I recorded my episode last week where I was flip-flopping between Randle and Trey, that exact decision. Ultimately, the voters settled on Randle, who's obviously been on the better team, and he's been really solid this year. I just can't believe that you know, two years in a row, I think Trey Young is averaging over 27 points a game and over 10 assists back-to-back seasons and didn't make the All-Star team initially in either season. With that, I'm a little bit less upset about that now because obviously with the injuries to Joel Embiid as well as Julius Randle, conveniently enough, uh, there are going to be a few folks that are taking the place in the Western in the Eastern Conference, I should say, as reserves. And it's already been announced at the time of recording this that Trey Young and Scotty Barnes are going to be the two folks replacing Joel Embiid and Julius Randle in the All-Star game. So that's awesome for Trey. I think Trey really deserved it. Scotty, sure, I, I know he's had a really great season and Toronto fans are ecstatic about him. And again, super deserving. I just don't know if there was anybody else out there that was more deserving. I think about my guy Kristaps, but honestly would have to crunch the numbers. I know he's missed quite a few games. So either way, I'm not super upset to see Scotty Barnes in there. Um, as far as if there are any injuries in the Western Conference, 
Knock on wood, I'm certainly hoping that it's not the case. But if it is, I think on the top of that list, it would have to be De'Aaron Fox, DeMontis Sabonis, like we talked about, and then Laurie Markkinen. Those would be my top three guys as reserve choices or reserve candidates in you, as you will, in the Western Conference if somebody were to get hurt between now and the All-Star game. So overall, really happy with the list. So everything else was literally chalk besides literally Towns over Fox slash Sabonis and then Randall over Trey Young. Those were really the only things I was didn't have perfectly on brand with. So overall, kudos to the NBA, kudos to the voters. I think they've done a really great job at figuring out the voting as a whole, right? Like a couple years ago, it was really out of whack with the fan voting and you still get some weird shit just because the fan voting does determine the starting lineups. Like, I think it was like literally like two or three years ago, Andrew Wiggins was starting in the Western for the Western Conference All-Star team because of some weird like K-pop movement, like Fact check me on that. Google Wiggins K-pop if you are if you have like 20 minutes, like not 20 minutes, maybe five minutes to kill. Maybe you have like a dentist appointment or something and you're just trying to burn burn time at the time of recording this whatever. Like look into it. The shit was nuts. I read it a while ago. Absolutely ridiculous. He had no business even being on an all-star team, let alone starting for the Western Conference. But again, it was determined by the fan voting. So all these overseas voters, K-pop stands, whatever, just voted Andrew Wiggins because of some affiliation he had with K-pop or the Warriors partnership or something like that. So hilarious stuff. Now that that seems to be behind us those days, I think the NBA has overall got it in check and found a way for the the fans' voices to be heard. But at the same time, they're letting, you know, more level-headed folks like coaches, like players, like media members who do watch the game on a nightly basis select folks. So it is much more, much less likely now than ever before that there would be a truly obvious snub if it was just all in the hands of the fans or things like that. So kudos to the folks that voted on the All-Star teams. Now let's get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. Tested out the trade machine for the first time, really excited about it. And I have five trades for you, right? It's a little bit of a mix of of guys that I think should be available based on the direction of some of the teams maybe trading away the most talented player in the deal, right? Maybe some teams at the bottom that are looking to rebuild a little bit are comfortable at this point in the season parting ways with some of their more desirable talent on the roster. And obviously some folks at the top of the NBA trying to solidify their chances to win a title. There's a little bit of that logic that goes into play. And then obviously the happiness of a few superstars that we'll talk about and I did sort these in order of most likely, in my opinion, to least likely to happen, right? I think number five is pretty ridiculous, but it would be a lot of fun. So hopefully you guys like this, right? People seem to love fake trade content. I did put some thought into it. I did confirm via the trade machines. I will say, although I'm a company man, I do prefer the Fanspo. Let me check on that Fanspo trade machine. I think that's what it was over the ESPN one, just because at least the Fanspo one actually let you access like draft picks and see what the draft capital was looking like. So um, kudos to that. I did kind of cross-reference with both to make sure that these deals would work from a financial situation because I know that is super complicated. And I think that's enough disclaimers. Let's just get right to it. Had to start off, keep things close to home with my Boston Celtics. And the first trade I have is between, of course, my Celtics and the Charlotte Hornets. I know the Hornets were active couple weeks ago when they made the move to trade away Terry Rozier sent him off to Miami so clearly Charlotte is well aware of their situation at the bottom of the standings in the Eastern Conference or at least around there and so I feel like they would be pretty comfortable trading Nick Richards to the Boston Celtics in exchange for Lamar Stevens and a 2026 unprotected first round pick of the Celtics so Yes, Nick Richards is currently the starting center for the Hornets. I think he projects as more of a backup center when Mark Williams is healthy for Charlotte. But Mark Williams, unfortunately, has been dealing with a back injury, and he's been out for months at this point in time. Hopefully, he's back for Charlotte soon. 
That being said, Charlotte does not need Nick Richards and really go anywhere. I mean, Nick Richards is just solid, right? He rolls to the basket. He knows how to finish. He's a solid defender. He's seven feet tall. He rebounds pretty well. And frankly, I just think he is considerably better than Luke Cornett or Kata or any of the non-Horford Porzingis bigs on the Celtics. Now, I know there's some other Celtics fans out there and some other Celtics media members that think that, hey, maybe the Celtics would be better suited getting another wing. Maybe they'd be suited better better suited getting another guard to come off the bench to have a little bit more size and play a little bit more defense than what Peyton Pritchard can offer. Obviously, Pritchard presumably is going to get hunted quite a bit in certain playoff matchups. I can't imagine he wouldn't be. But that being said, he still provides a lot for us on the offensive end of the court. I just still feel like with the age of Al Horford and the durability concerns with Kristaps Porzingis, if there's any spot on our roster where we would need a little bit of extra insurance and backup in case of injuries, it would definitely still be that big man position. You guys can tell me if I'm wrong. And I think that Nick Richards is a pretty solid target. Um, not only because he's not just like a rental, right? He actually is under contract through the end of the 2025-2026 season. So two more de- two more years left on his deal. He's on a super cheap contract as well, just making $5 million per year over the next couple years. And so the Celtics would actually be able to retain him and hopefully have him as a depth piece for the next couple years moving forward. And I do believe that the Grant Williams trade exception would have to come into play for this type of deal because Lamar Stevens does only make about $2 million per year. Um, and Nick Richards obviously makes five. So I think that trade exception would have to kick in in order for that deal to work. But it is a success on the trade machine. So again, I think the Celtics should trade for Nick Richards from Charlotte in exchange for Lamar Stevens and a 2026 unprotected first round pick. Again, Celtics fans, you might be saying giving up a first is is pretty pricey for a dude you guys probably haven't heard of, which I get. But again, he's on a cheap contract. He's a solid player. I don't think that 2026 pick is going to be very high if the Celtics continue with their current trajectory and with the age of their star players and everything like that. And Charlotte's probably just happy to recoup any sort of first round draft capital at this point in time. Moving on to fake trade number two, we are sticking with the contenders making some moves to solidify their front court. But this time we're kicking it over to the Western Conference to talk about the Oklahoma City Thunder. In this deal, I have them doing business with the Brooklyn Nets, and the deal is as follows. The Oklahoma City Thunder receiving Nick Claxton and Dorian Finney-Smith in exchange for Usman Jang, Davis Bertans, a 2024 first-round pick via Houston, which is 1-4 through protected, which, again, Houston's pretty solid this season, so that wouldn't come into play anyway. A 2025 first-round pick via the Sixers, and then a 2025 second-round pick, which would come via Boston or Memphis. So, again, the highlight of that deal is Nick Claxton going to OKC. Now, why would Brooklyn be looking to trade Nick Claxton? Because he's actually going to be an unrestricted free agent after this season. So there is a chance that OKC is kind of rolling the dice a little bit for a rental. But that being said, Nick Claxton has literal defensive player of the year upside potential with him, right? I think there's obviously some holes in his game, but he actually moves and handles the ball pretty well for a big of that size. And his rim protection is really second to none. And he's a pretty reliable finisher around the basket as well. He doesn't really provide much at all floor spacing. So that's something to keep in mind. He's not a shooter really at all. Uh, But that being said, I think the Thunder can still work with that. And they're not just getting Nick Claxton, right? They're actually getting Dorian Finney-Smith, who I think is still a really solid 3 and D player. Having an extra wing to throw into games with a little bit more size that can, again, actually be a bit of a small ball 5 for them as well at times. Dorian Finney-Smith has done that for the Nets periodically throughout the season. So he can play any of the front court positions really and defend at a really high level. And frankly, I think the deal for Dorian Finney-Smith is pretty good. He's on a pretty affordable contract for the next few seasons at 
but uh, I believe he signed that deal with Dallas a couple years ago at this point. So he should have about three years left on that contract. And so even if Nick Claxton walks in the offseason, I can't imagine OKC would be very happy about that. But at least you have Dorian Finney-Smith under contract. And look, obviously, it's a bit of an overpay for the Thunder to trade away. Again, Usman Jang, Davis Bertans, two first-round picks in a second. But that being said, they're first-round picks of relatively competitive teams between Houston and Philadelphia. And again, frankly... Oklahoma City has so many picks that they're not even going to be able to convey all of these draft picks if they keep it. they got to start moving them. They have an obvious need, an obvious lack of size behind Chet Holmgreen. Nick Claxton can guard the other team's best big. He can play alongside Chet, and Chet can play more of a power forward spot and still space the floor for OKC. And I think Nick Claxton's also, he's a young guy, right? I think he's going to fit in pretty well with that locker room and some of the vibes that they have going there. I don't think it would make a ton of sense for them to bring in an older big who might not mesh as well. And then you also have that veteran presence with DFS that could provide value to the Thunder as well. So again, it is a bit of an overpay for the Thunder, I think, to give up two firsts and a second for Nick Claxton and Dorian Finney-Smith. You guys can let me know if you disagree, but I think it makes sense for them to overpay for that big man to solidify their chances to contend this season. Hopefully they're able to re-sign Claxton if this were to go through as well. But even if not, I think it might be worth it for a rental of a really high upside defensive center to get them through the playoffs. And Dorian Finney-Smith to boot, I think the deal makes sense for both sides. Moving on, again, these trades are going to get progressively juicier, if I do say so myself. Uh, We are talking about the Golden State Warriors finally moving on from some of their draft capital and adding a little bit of size. In this fake trade, we are talking about the Golden State Warriors doing business with the Chicago Bulls, and the deal is as follows. The Warriors would receive Nikola Vucevic and Torrey Craig in exchange for Andrew Wiggins, the Warriors' 2027 first-round pick, and the Warriors' 2028 first-round pick. So, what is there to talk about in this deal? I personally think that Vucevic is a really talented player. I know a lot of people clown Chicago because they traded, you know, a, a few picks to get him from the Orlando Magic, right? And the Orlando Magic were able to make great use of those picks, right? I think they got Wendell Carter in that deal. I think one of the picks turned into Franz Wagner, and I think one of the other picks turned into either Anthony Black or Jet Howard from this most recent year. But either way, Franz is really good, and within itself, obviously, the Magic won that trade. But that's not to say that Vucevic still isn't a productive player. He's, you know, I think he's in season 12 or 13 at this point. The guy is a double-double machine. He rebounds the shit out of the basketball. He still shoots the ball at a really good clip from three so he can space the floor. He's a willing passer. And I think he's a perfect fit with everything that Golden State does, right? I don't think, you know, he's not the best defensively, obviously, right? He's not going to be like a traditional rim protector. But I think with how well Draymond's been playing since he's gotten his act together after that suspension, that like Draymond is a defensive anchor. He is a defensive anchor. He's a defensive identity to that team. They just need somebody to rebound the ball. Like, even against the Hawks a couple nights ago, Steph went off for 60 points, and it, and the Warriors still lost the game in large part because they could not box out Clint Capella or Onyeka Okongwu to save their life. Like, it was insane how much success Atlanta had on the boards against Golden State. And I just think this team desperately needs size, so that's a huge element of it. I, again, I really like that fit of Vucevic in Golden State. And secondly, you're, you're moving on from Andrew Wiggins, right? That's kind of the headline of this deal. Obviously, Wiggs is on a really big contract. I know Vucevic is high paid as well, but Wiggs actually makes more and is under contract for an extra year after that. And so I feel like there's one first in that deal to kind of get things done and then an extra first smacked on on top of that because I'm pretty confident Chicago and really no other team is going to want to pay Andrew Wiggins. Again, 
really sucks. I, I can't stand Andrew Wiggins because, of course, like the best two weeks of his entire career were against my Celtics in the finals when he suddenly became the best perimeter defender in the world and like also a guy that was like Rodman on the boards. And we just haven't seen that same guy since. And obviously being sympathetic to the fact that he had some personal issues that kept him off the court for a huge portion of last season. But that being said, I just think that guy's gone. I don't think we're going to see that same guy from the finals ever again. He's just been really inconsistent. And he's obviously had flashes for Golden State this year, but I think it would be a headache removed from that locker room if they just move on from Andrew Wiggins. It'd be better suited for them to have a different guy that plays obviously more of a big man position in that roster spot and have a guy like Jonathan Kaminga step up and just, I mean, I know he's been awesome lately and he's been breaking out if you guys have been watching the Warriors, but that being said, really solidify that like, hey, that spot in the closing five now belongs to Kaminga. And then you have other guys like Pashemsky that have proven their worth, guys like Trace Jackson Davis, who have been really solid for them. They've had a few random guys on their roster, like Lester Keones or something crazy like that that's given them good minutes, whatever. They have plenty of guys to play the wing positions, to stand on the perimeter, play solid defense, and knock down threes. I think Wiggins is pretty obsolete on this team, and so paying the price of giving away two first-round picks to just get rid of him and recoup a big that is a little overpaid, but I think fits what they do really well, makes sense. And you get a guy like Torrey Craig to boot, who maybe has some three and D potential. Again, I like this deal for both sides, especially for Golden State, being able to recoup Nikola Vucevic and Torrey Craig in exchange for Wiggins and their 27 and 28 first round picks. And if you're thinking about this from the Bulls side of things as well, I just think with the Bulls need to pick a direction, right? I think everybody should be affordable. I think everybody should be on sale for the Chicago Bulls. And I think they should just start moving on and Getting a 27 and 28 first for the Warriors, that's a really good thing because at that point in time with the trajectory of this franchise and if the Warriors are showing a willingness to move on from these draft picks and go all in for the next couple years, those picks could be lottery picks with ease. So I think it definitely makes sense for both sides. It's definitely a risk on Golden State's part, but I think it, it's definitely a deal where both sides would benefit. Moving on, the hot meter, the, the heat of this trade, Probably about an 8, maybe even a 9. It is involving the biggest franchise in all of professional basketball, the Los Angeles Lakers, acquiring a third star. In this fake trade, the Lakers would receive Donovan Mitchell in exchange for Austin Reeves, Rui Hachimura, and the Lakers' first-round picks in 2025, 2026, 2028, and 2029. So four firsts, Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura for Donovan Mitchell. Let's talk about it. Is this deal going to happen? Probably not. Almost certainly not, right? Let, let, let's be upfront about that. But what I will say is that I did have sources on Words with Wallace, if you guys remember about a month or two ago at this point in time, tell me that the Cavs were strongly considering moving on from Donovan Mitchell. Why, you ask? Because all indications are that he would not want to re-sign in Cleveland when his current deal is up. I believe he's under contract for this season, all of next season, maybe even the following season as well. But again, the Cavs are kind of looking ahead with this, and they would just rather get out in front and get a King's ransom for Donovan Mitchell and build around guys like Evan Mobley and Darius Garland. Now, obviously, since I reported that on this podcast, and since I had sources tell me that, the Cavs have been on fire. They lost Evan Mobley, they lost Darius Garland, and somehow Donovan Mitchell just led this team to an absolute heater of a run that the Cavs are still rolling. They obviously recently got Mobley and Garland back. We'll see how that goes. It's not really a large enough sample size with the team all healthy and everything like that. So who knows? Maybe the Cavs are extremely happy with Donovan Mitchell and and this recent run of him being the the main star has shown him that he wants to stay in Cleveland but honestly I don't really buy that I don't know what this run really showed the Cavs like it is obviously super encouraging if you're the Cavs front office but at the same time if 
that guy's still going to walk at the end of his current contract and you can still get a massive, massive price tag for him. Like, again, Donovan Mitchell's price has gone up over the last couple months. He's been one of the best players in basketball, no questions about it. And so with that, we know why the Lakers would want to make the move, right? Like LeBron's tweeting hourglass emojis. The vibes in LA are all over the place. LeBron wants to win another ring, at least one more, right? Like that's all he cares about. That's all this organization cares about having 17 championships, right? It's always going to be championship or bust for the Los Angeles Lakers. And so I think that they could make this move. And it also notably keeps D'Angelo Russell, who has been unbelievable for the Lakers as of late on the roster. I think positionally, he is more of a true point guard that would fit with what the Lakers are doing. And he could exist alongside Donovan Mitchell. I'm not entirely sure about that basketball fit, but notably, D'Angelo Russell would stay and Austin Reeves would go. And the reason Austin Reeves would go is because he's been super inconsistent for the Lakers, but he is a really desirable trade chip as well. I think that contract that he signed in the offseason was pretty affordable for Austin Reeves. And so the Cavs to get a real talented shooting guard to go alongside Darius Garland in the backcourt, like, you know, to, to immediately fill that Donovan Mitchell hole is, is notable. Rui Hachimura, that contract looks questionable, and he's in and out of the Lakers rotation. So I'm not entirely sure what his value is, but he's really in there to make the salaries fit. So, again, I think it could happen, right? If LeBron's applying enough pressure on the front office, they've already shown an expressed interest in acquiring Donovan Mitchell a few months ago. We know the Cavs are thinking about trading Donovan Mitchell because of the looming contract decision. I think it's possible. Now, it's it's not likely. It's certainly less than in a 5% chance of it happening. But in the realm of fake trades and all this stuff, it's certainly more reasonable than the Lakers trading LeBron. I'll put that on record right now. That shit is not happening. Any article you click on, any YouTube video you click on, any anything you see out there about the Lakers trading LeBron, just it's wasting your time. You've already wasted, I've already wasted my breath talking about it. So the Lakers aren't trading LeBron. If they do make a move, which I don't think they will, I think they stand pat because of some of the encouraging signs you've seen recently, I think it could look something like this for the Lakers to acquire Donovan Mitchell. Finally, this one is totally out of left field. The final fake trade we are talking about is a trade in which Victor Wimpanyama gets a true point guard. Let's talk about it. In this fake deal, the Spurs would receive Trey Young, and the Hawks would receive Keldon Johnson, Doug McDermott, the Spurs' first-round pick in 2024, the Hawks' first-round pick in 2025, a 2026 pick swap with the Hawks, so the Hawks would be getting that pick swap right back to then switch it with San Antonio, if possible, at that point in time, as well as the Hawks' 2027 first-round pick. So just to recap, Spurs received Trey Young, Hawks received Kelton Johnson, Doug McDermott, three first-round picks, and a 2026 first-round pick swap. Let's talk about it. Is it going to happen? No, because the Spurs are just going to be way too patient and they're just, they have a ton of picks and they're going to use them and they're going to do this slow rebuild. But Atlanta is kind of a dumpster fire. We've been talking about it all season, how disappointed I've been in Atlanta. I think they might be the single most disappointing team in the entire NBA, well below what their win totals would be projected to be, certainly at this point in time. And maybe the question circulating in that Atlanta locker room is maybe Trey Young is a problem, right? Maybe his style of basketball, the lack of defense that he plays, the heliocentric style. I know he still gets his teammates involved and especially lob catchers at an extremely high level, but maybe it's hard to win with this guy. And frankly, if you've watched Hawks games recently, I don't agree with this decision, but they seem to be closing games with the ball in DeJounte Murray's hands for one reason or another. And he keeps pulling through for them, right? He's been making clutch jumpers for them left and right. He's had a few game winners. And so maybe you build around DeJounte Murray for now. And maybe you just recoup some draft capital and, and kind of rebuild and just see what DeJounte Murray looks like alongside 
you know, some other folks in the backcourt that would complement his style of play and some other ascending players like Jalen Johnson and Anyaka Kongwu and things like that. And so I don't really know what the direction is for the Hawks, so I don't think it's completely impossible. And obviously for them to, you know, capitalize on a, a Spurs 2024 first-round pick for starters, I mean, even if Trey Young gets there at the deadline, the Spurs aren't going to totally turn things around this season. They're still not going to be even in the play-in race with how much of the hole they'd have to climb out of. And so that's still a lottery pick at least. And then the Hawks picks, they get their own picks back for the next couple of years where they now are in the driver's seat of their own destiny, right? If they want to hit that rebuild button and then ship off DeJounte Murray to the Knicks or, or some other contender out there and then really recoup a bunch of picks and move on from their crackhead coach, Quinn Snyder, they can now do that. They, they just really, in a nutshell, they get back all the picks that they originally gave San Antonio to acquire DeJounte Murray. They get another solid piece back. And again, Keldon Johnson and Doug McDermott go back in return to make the salaries work. Keldon Johnson's on a pretty team-friendly deal for the next few years and has shown some potential. And just, I bury the lead here. Imagine Trey Young in San Antonio, dude. That would be sick. That would be unbelievable. He makes every center he's ever played with look like the most athletic freak of nature ever. And then you put him next to Victor Wembanyama, who can catch lobs from outside of the restricted area with ease. It would be insane. I do have to credit Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer, because I think he tweeted about this weeks ago, and that kind of got my head spinning. And so when I was looking for a fake trade, that this is kind of why I put it together. I'm the one that made it work in the machine. But that being said, I love the thought. I think it would be like the Spurs would literally be appointment viewing if Trey Young was there. I don't know what that would look like to, again, contribute to winning basketball. But their offense needs it, right? And they, if anyone can eventually make up for the shortcomings of Trey Young on the defensive side of the court, it would be what Victor Wembanyama projects to be in a few years with his rim protection and everything like that. So that is my final deal. The, the Spurs accelerating their timeline, trading for Trey Young, giving a bunch of draft capital to the Hawks. That just about does it for today's episode, guys. We will be back in about a week to, of course, react to the NBA trade deadline. Hopefully it is as eventful as I expect it to be. Hopefully we see at least, we go at least one of five. One of five I would take. If I go one of five on those fake trades, that would be a huge W can't wait though guys we certainly know that there are going to be some rebuilding teams looking to move on from some of their talent some contending teams trying to solidify their chances to win so this is always an exciting time of the year but of course as always before i let you guys go be sure to follow at words with wallace on everything that includes instagram twitter facebook youtube the kids on tiktok now still got single digit tiktok followers so anyone that wants to you know come bump up your boy hopefully we can hit double digits by the next episode that would be huge so definitely check me out on all those social media platforms as well as spotify apple music wherever you get your podcasts and i will talk to you guys next week peace